We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why... When it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. All right, guys, welcome to episode 402 of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. I am still without my co-host, Andrew, who is in New Zealand gallivanting around with his new beautiful bride, so he should be back next week. In his place, we're only going to do a little bit uh, of time going over some headlines and things um, because I have Ben Badler on the back end of this with Baseball America breaking down all of the uh, Yankees prospects, the top 10. Uh, we talk a little bit about the 100 and MLB, but that's a fun interview that I had with him talking about all those guys. But today joining me is Mr. Nick Kirby, who you've heard on the show before. He was my partner with our GM plan, which we kind of totally tanked on. But <laughs> welcome back, Nick. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm glad we were wrong there because I definitely wanted Garrett Cole the whole time. So I've never been more happy uh, to be wrong. No, it's true. We definitely took a, a different approach in the sense that we made the approach that the Yankees were going to go under. They didn't go under. So everything was out the window uh, at that point, which is which is great for all of us, I think. But um, smiles all around. Yeah, no doubt, man. Welcome back. Uh, glad to have you on the show. And we're going to go through some of the things that the first thing we got to the un- really just sad, sad news today. We're recording on Sunday. Um, I'm sure by now you've all heard that um, the helicopter went down with Kobe and Kobe has passed away, age 41. And his little, his daughter was in, in the helicopter. And then another uh, gentleman with their kid, I, I believe, um, also passed in the helicopter. Just super sad news, obviously, for the families um, and, you know, for everybody who's sports fans. Just really just a, a, an unfortunate day. But it would be remiss of us not to to mention that it was there uh, and, and happened. So what were your first thoughts when you when you saw that Kobe had passed? Yeah, I almost didn't believe it. And and growing up, I was born in 92. So the guys that were always kind of in the championship or winning championships every year, it was Brady, Jeter and Kobe. So just to see one of those guys, you know, my generation's guys just go down like that. I mean, I was never a huge basketball guy, but I mean, he touched everybody in our generation. So it, it was tough. Yeah. And then seeing the families and the, his little girl was in that too. It's just, man, it's just, it puts things in perspective. Like when I first saw it, the first thing I thought was that, I'll get a little deep here, but you know, it's, I saw that a guy like Kobe Bryant, 41 years old, you know, is in a helicopter going to a a basketball camp uh, and this thing goes down. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, what your, what your celebrity is, what your status is, what you've done in the past, who's around. It doesn't matter. Like life is a precious thing. You got to take nothing for granted uh, because you don't know when your last day will be there. And it's just puts things in perspective for me, you know, having Kemp uh, as a, as a kid, a little baby who had a heart condition, um, still has a heart condition. There's just so many things that go into it. Like he's born with a, a circumstance that will, you know, potentially put, uh, you know, some limitations on him. But then you see a guy like, you know, Kobe, who who is cut short at 41. It's like crazy, crazy, crazy. And, and puts a lot of things in pers- perspective as a, as a father and just a person. So um, heart, thoughts and prayers, I guess, you know, all that stuff go out to the families. And uh, it's just, it's one of those weird, sad days, man. Absolutely. 100%. Um, talking about uh, baseball and, and some other things and some more positive news, uh, we kind of have an announcement. The uh, you're 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 here to talk with with me about some Yankees baseball. We're going to touch on Jeter and some more stuff, but we have a pretty big announcement actually. You are going to be the brand new co-host of George's Box with JJ. So congratulations. Thank you, sir. Couldn't be couldn't be more excited. Obviously, went over there a couple of weeks ago and did the show. Had a great time, and then uh, he actually told me we were at the bar together like a week later, and he told me in person. So it's pretty cool. I'm pumped. Yeah, man. We've uh, we you know behind the scenes when we've been talking about this is uh, you, you were a name that was super high up. I know you've done radio in the past, and you and I have uh, have been on the show together. You've done a bunch of other like podcast hits when when we had people come and I couldn't do them. Um, so. You know, I'm expecting awesome things. Like, I, I know you guys have a good rapport. Uh, you live very close together, so you'll be able to do some some things in person, too. I'm really looking forward to it. I think you guys are going to have uh, a really good season, and it's going to be just fun listening to you guys talk Yankees baseball and then whatever the hell else you talk about, because that's kind of what George's box is. It is a it is Pandora's box, essentially, when you have JJ on the mic. As he says, it's a loosey-goose time. That's exactly what it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think if you have, if you guys haven't subscribed to George's Box, definitely go over there and uh, check them out. Subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your shows, and uh, give them a subscribe. And you'll start – I think, Nick, you're starting uh, – I'm going to be on as a guest on February 4th, I believe, or whatever the next day of that 
that will be released, but you'll be on um, the week after that and then and then forward through the season. So uh, definitely hit that subscribe button to these guys. Absolutely. Right. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. There you go. All right. So what do we have going on this week? Because we have nothing happening. Baseball is done. The Astros have cheated. We know that. It's done. We've beaten that with like a dead horse. Um, there's a, some things to talk about that a little bit and we'll touch on them, even though I don't want to, we will, <laughs> we will talk about them. I'm sick of them being in my mouth. To tell you the truth. I'm sick of giving them time. I'm just sick of all of it. But the number one big thing, obviously on Tuesday, Derek Jeter was, uh, inducted into, or well, not inducted, but announced that he's going to be part of the 2020 hall of fame class, uh, our, our guy. So, um, yeah, what were you thinking? I mean, obviously we all knew that he was going to be in, uh, I think some people were expecting a, a a unanimous vote after Mo got it last year. Like, did that break the ice? And now we're going to see that more often. It should have been one guy ruined the parade. One, one guy ruined the party. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts? Uh, thrilled, obviously. I mean, Derek was my favorite player growing up, and I'm sure pretty much every Yankee fan my age or around my age would, would kind of say the same thing in regards to Derek. But I mean, he definitely deserved it. Uh, sixth all time in hits. We know what he did. We're winning five championships, being that stalwart at shortstop for 20 years uh, for us. I don't think it could have happened to a better guy. Obviously, a little bit disappointed with the one guy that didn't vote for him. But it, but as soon as I took a step back, I was like, let's make this about Derek. Let's not make it about the one scumbag who didn't vote for him. And let's enjoy it because 99.7, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. And, you know, Andrew and I have had this discussion and it goes down a, a very weird wormhole, too, when you start talking about Hall of Fame voting and like all the things that are wrong with the system itself. But um when you look at some guys that, and, and he obviously didn't know he was going to be the only one, you know, for that being said, like there could have been three or four other ones, but, but some guys have a ballot where they vote for a guy that's on like maybe the last time that they could be on the ballot just to try to keep them on the ballot and give them another campaign year, knowing damn well that some of these other guys are hundred percent going in like Jeter. So the system's flawed because like, when you look at that logic, like I kind of understand that side of it and it just shows how bad the system is. Um, or you just have totally broken system or it could be just some, some, uh, some, some very bitter Boston writer that was, you know, that's never going to come out. See, I think it was some bitter, unhappy guy that wanted to make a name for himself. Now, the thing is, I don't think that that voter has been, been revealed yet. I think he remained anonymous, but, but the point still remains that people are, people are talking about him. I'm sure he's telling, he, he tells people and people kind of know who he is in the inner circles of baseball. You know, he's got his little moment or whatever the case may be. But I think these writers just overthink it with guys getting left off the ballot, like you said, and I know other people are going to vote for Derek, so he doesn't need my vote or whatever the logic is. If the guy's a Hall of Famer, you vote for him. And I just think they kind of, they overthink these things. Yeah, well, and the system doesn't help them. You know, it, it definitely gives them a little bit of a crutch to, to do some weird stuff with it. But um, yeah, anyway, you're like you said, not going to make it about that because it's not about that. It's all about Derek Jeter being the captain, being the guy that, uh, led the Yankees to uh, five championships, being the like you said, the stalwart, the shortstop. I mean, he was he was my favorite guy growing up. I didn't really have, I never claim a favorite Yankee per se, but I mean, he was up there. Obviously, um, he's just everything you kind of want that guy to be. You know, I think we get a lot of vibes from from Judge in the sense of what he does. He talks like him. They have the same on camera demeanor. He needs the winning. That's what he needs. He needs championships to to even come close to that level. But um, yeah, Jeter was uh, was the guy. So. Things that have come out this this week, we've talked. He's been on camera and talking a lot. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little weird that he's the Marlins 
uh, it is know, still weird. It, it's been weird since it happened. Point. Like it, it, that kind of freaks me out still. Like seeing him with another organization, and this was the first time that he, you know, this is the first time since he kind of retired that he mentioned that the Yankees fans are the greatest fans in the world. He hadn't said that in a couple of years, so I was like, ah, oh, it's, it's refreshing to hear to hear from the. Uh, he, he, he cannot say that the Marlins fans are the best fans in the world. I mean, like you just that, can't yeah, say that's, that. That's a lie. Yeah, he can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's pretty funny. And even like the reaction behind the scenes, like that was a, a good little video, but it was so, it was almost like a candid moment. It, it was, the camera wasn't like in their face. It was the Players Tribune did it in a way that was like, you know, was it black and white, I think, but it was like kind of hidden, like off to the side of a very small group of people doing it. Just very Derek Jeter, I thought. Very Jeter-esque. And obviously it was the Players Tribune, right, that put the whole thing on that the company that he owns. And let me say something. Jeter's parents have not aged a day right. in the 20 years that I've been watching them on TV. Like if you pull up a clip of them in the stands, 98 or something, they, they look exactly the same. That was the other thing I noticed. Like these guys haven't aged at all. He's, he's got some good genetics going, clearly. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Larry Walker, the other guy that got uh, they got voted in, will be part of the induction ceremony in uh, in July up in Cooperstown. So that will be a, a fun weekend. I know a lot of Yankees fans are, are planning to go up there to see that. Good luck because that's a trek. And yeah, have a, you looked at, oh my zoo. God, three yeah. night minimum, 500 bucks a night. It's like, might as well go to Europe if you're going <laughs> to spend that money. It's crazy. I, mean, I was looking into it like after, right after Mo, right around that time, I was looking into it for Jeter and maybe getting a bus and th- looking at all these things. Everything was booked by that time. And I know people up there too, that it was very hard to get anything going and to get it like a big group, just the traffic getting in there on those days, like with a, with a bus, it's not, it's not a good situation. So uh, it's the, it seems like the classic situation that sounds great when you're talking about it. And then when you actually think about the logistics of it and actually doing it, you're like, Oh, maybe I'll I'll watch on TV. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's definitely one of those things. And it's not like it's a, it's a big town. It's a small town. There's only, you know, one way in, I think that was the way I saw um, and then it's, you know, one main road. That's the, that's not a big road. It's a small little place. So it's uh it's going to be a zoo out there, but it's going to be a lot of fun watching that, hearing the stories. I'm sure a lot of people will be coming out as they have this week. Uh, I think one of the coolest things that we saw this week was, uh, Jeter went on the MLB network and was talking about the flip play. So what do you, uh, like, it was cool just watching him break it down some things that I, I was, I was hoping he'd talk about, but it, they definitely practiced this thing. They practiced it and it happened. Absolutely. And he kind of confirmed what everybody what everybody had been saying for for 20 years. He is the third. He is the third cutoff man on that play. So on a ball into the corner and right field, you got your second baseman, you got your first baseman. And then he's there between catcher and first base to possibly redirect the throw to third. And he kind of talked about how he would have had Terrence Long at third um, if they would have had to redirect. Obviously, he's going to go make the play at home and, and get that uh, rumbling, stumbling Jeremy Giambi at the plate. But yeah, he's the third cutoff man there. He's there to direct the ball to third if need be, and, and they do practice it. And then you saw in the clip, he did it again in 2011 in Tampa. There was no flip play, uh, but he practiced the same thing, Mr. Consistent. Yeah, I mean, when you hit your cut, Jeter's not in that play. And like he was talking about, if you hit your cut, if, if uh, Shade Spencer had hit his cut, uh, Giambi would have been out by 10 feet. Uh, it, it, the fact that, that um, Jeter had the presence of mind of being there. And I love the play because it is a very – Heads up play, obviously. Yes, they they um, they practice it, but to be in that spot and then to do the to the backhand and for him to say it was the first time I heard that uh, him talk about the runner at third having Terrence Long at third. That was interesting to me because when you look at his positioning, you could see that he could have you know planted that back foot and and made a throw to third. But no, he had Giambi and um, I love the jab at, at Giambi and the lack of speed in the family. That was great, Cla- classic Derek. And the play is almost poetic, like how how quickly. 
he gathers the ball and just flips it in one motion. It's something that I don't think he could ever recreate it, and I don't think we'll ever see it again, really. It's just such a random occurrence, and that's why people call it a generational play. So always, always cool to relive that. That's probably one of my most looked up you know, highlights on YouTube for sure. I probably watched that about a thousand times in my life. Yeah, and we did the uh, Andrew and I last week released uh, on Tuesday. We released the one through five moments uh, that we had kind of ranked um, and did a special episode about the Jeter uh, Hall of Fame announcement. And the flip was was the one on there because it was a, it was a crucial time. It was an unbelievable play. Like the circumstances had to be exactly right, and and Jeter had to be in that moment and had to be there in that exact spot. Uh, so it was, uh, it was just one of those very like Jeter-esque plays that, that captures everything about him, um, for, for, and it was in an game. elimination game, of course, right? Yeah. They were down, they were down Oh two, one, nothing game. I mean, couldn't, you know, couldn't have happened at, at a better time. So, and I think that's one thing that kind of gets forgotten is that they were facing elimination on the road when it happened. You know, it wasn't just like a, a game four where they were up three, nothing or up two one or something like that. They were going home if they didn't win. So yeah, it was a huge circumstance. Series. Yeah, right. He, that would have tied the game. He had to be there. If he didn't make that play, who the hell knows what happens? Um, because now you have uh, run scored runner on third, you know, a lot of things could happen at that point. So yeah, um, huge, huge play. And, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about him. I was talking about the home run he hit uh, against the Mets in 2002. He, in 2000, he, um, the stone cold look on his face, man, when he hits that home run and just trots around the bases and they had bumped him up to the leadoff spot in that point to kind of get something going. He walks up, hits that home run. And he's just like, you know what? This is what's happening. I'm put here to do my job. I'm not going to laugh. I'm not going to cheer. I'm not going to smile. He's just business, business, business. And he sets the tone. And I think that's one of the biggest things. He set the tone for those teams. Um, and they all, they all followed, uh, followed his lead. And obviously we saw some of the best baseball uh, you could possibly watch. So, incredible wouldn't trade it for anything there are a couple mailbags that i wanted to get to and guys there are a lot of mailbags that came in i'm going to save some of them um for next week when andrew is back but there's two that were about jeter that i want to talk about now that it's obviously super fitting uh this one's from mike f he says with all the great jeter press over the last week and going forward uh in this hall of fame tour does the public image flip back to positive the first few years of the marlins were going to be the hardest anyway and Mattingly extension at least makes it look like uh, they're buying into the future. So I don't even really know if it was a negative like public image, but I know there were some things that had come out about, uh, what was it? A scout or somebody that like, they fired. He, yeah. He fired a guy that was sick or, or something and, and didn't retain. Was it the guy's name? Jeff Conine maybe, or some of these like longtime Mr. Marlins that, that he let go, but the guy wanted a clean house. I mean, it was a, it's a bad franchise. I don't really blame him for wanting to get rid of guys that, that work and the job done. Yeah, so I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a flip because I don't think it was ever to a point that was a, a negative in, uh, public image. Jeter has done such a good job in his entire career for controlling the narrative and controlling the story. I still think it's the case. I mean, you saw it. He retired and started a publication after never speaking to the media about anything, really. He starts a, right, a publication. Right, he was taking mental notes during yeah. all those interviews. He just yeah. wasn't saying anything. Yeah, he's, he's, he opens up a, a publication for athletes to talk to, to the fans and uh, doing it themselves. So um, the guy has controlled the narrative every step of the way. And I, I think that's uh, just kind of similar to what we're seeing here. Um, it is, and it's going to be all good articles and all good videos and, and people showing him love for the next six months. So I do think that, that that's a good question. Yeah, he's, it's absolutely going to help. Not that the image was ever that bad. Maybe right around the Stanton trade. He took a little heat, but I think this summer and, and spring it's gonna be it's gonna be all love for Derek. So yeah, it, it should start to creep back up. Especially when Stanton's hitting, you know, on pace for forty five bombs this year. You know, it's gonna look like a great trade. Thank you, Derek. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the next one is from Jason Alexander. 
He says, yeah, yeah, I know. Not the same. Not George. This is George Costanza. This is, this is all I'm reading this as. Uh, he says, this might, so this is an interesting mailbag I wanted to get to because I think it's obviously very fitting with um, Jeter getting announced. Uh, and we've alluded to other guys in the past who, uh, who, who have these qualities. But uh, this might be controversial opinion, but a, I personally believe the title captain should be retired with Jeter. I know Gehrig, Munson, and Mattingly were also captains, but it seems like being the captain was a huge part of Jeter's identity, even more so than those other guys. Even if Jeter, uh, I'm sorry, even if a guy like Judge is deserving of it, I feel like it cheapens what it meant for Jeter. What are your thoughts? So you go ahead, take this one first. I'll tee it up for you. I got some uh, some thoughts about it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely disagree. Uh, to say that there should never be another captain, I mean, you don't know who's going to come along in the next 20, 30 50 years, the Yankees are going to be around for a while. I just think it's a little bit morbid almost to say we're never going to have a captain again. And I do think it's coming for Judge, whether it's this year, next year, the year after. I do think they're going to give him that title at some point. But even if not, even if there's a kid, that, even if they want to give it to Jason Dominguez in 10 years or whatever the case may be, I, I'd like to keep it. I still like having a captain moving forward. Derek will always be the captain, but I don't want to retire uh, the captain from the Yankee organization. Yeah, no. I, so I agree with you. I think that um, one, I, I disagree that it's it's really just him. I think this is an era thing for sure. I think if you grew up in the Derek Jeter era, then obviously he's the guy that you saw as the captain. When I was growing up before Jeter was Jeter, Mattingly was the guy. He was the guy that had the uh, the C that was the um, you know the heart and soul of those teams. So I, I think it's almost disrespectful to say that he would be the guy. And it, you know Jeter would never say that. But you look back no, at some of these no. guys, especially Munson too. I mean Munson, people. People absolutely love Munson. The guys that grew up in that era like just absolutely love Munson. He's their guy. So um, it's almost a blasphemy, I think, to say that against these, some of these other guys. And I think some people don't remember this, and I'm, I'm just making sure that I'm 100% correct on here, and I'm looking it up right now. But yeah, uh, Gidry and Willie Randolph were named co-captains. Did you know that? Um, I, you know what? I knew Randolph was. I did not know that the Gidry was. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's never talked about. It's never acknowledged that they were – uh, maybe because there was a co-captain situation, but that's hysterical in the seventies. Yeah. That must've been such a, <laughs> yeah, it's just so interesting. Yeah. So um, Randolph spent 13 of 18 seasons as player with the Yankees and was co-captain of the Yankees with Ron Guidry from 86 to 88. So that never gets talked about. I feel like that one is a, uh, is, is a footnote in all these places and never gets talked about as uh, being a captain, but he's a, so these, you have these guys who are very important to their teams at that. And during that era, that, that's why you can't, to me, you definitely can't do that. Because exactly, once, and you could say that about any era. Like, think, I mean, I'm sure there were guys in the 30s that, you know, after Lou Gehrig passed that said there should never be another captain. Sure. I mean, everybody's going to feel that way about their guy. You know, the Munson guys in the 70s, like you said, um, the Mattingly guys in the 80s, and now we're, we're kind of the Derek guys. So, yeah, and, and you could say that about any era, and hopefully there will be another guy that comes along that is just as good and just as impactful as the guys that we just listed. Yeah, and don't, and don't you want that? I, I feel like I, I yeah. want I want guys to strive to be that, and like not that you're thinking about it, but if you're doing the the right things and you're and you're winning as a as a team, and you're the guy who's leading that team, and, and like you know holds those same characteristics, that's a goddamn good thing. So I got no problem if someone is deserving enough to do it. Now, if we start talking about this in five six years, and the Yankees organization is throwing this out willy nilly and just being like captain uh, and they're and they're throwing it out a little too fast that will bother me but if a guy that's very deserving they don't do that though i, I don't see them doing that uh, yeah they I didn't they didn't retire numbers either they, did, they didn't put uh sections in the field for named after players either they're doing different things now there's a little bit of a, a difference in, in the way they're operating so we'll see what happens but i don't think it should be uh, retired by any means 
Yep, I agree. All right, so let's move on to some uh, some other stuff that's happening throughout baseball before we get to uh, to Ben Badler, and and this is more of the stupid Astros thing, but we got to talk about it quickly. These guys, these guys are either not apologizing, apologizing in a really terrible way, or talking about the fact that they're going to apologize at some point after they all have you know an in-house PR meeting and construct all the apologies and make sure that they are exactly the way Jim Crane wants them and all these things, but. It's 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 gotten to a point where it's ridiculous. I'm over it. I'm so over it. I want them all to be penalized, but they're not going to be. They came out and said it again. No players are going to get penalized. But Jim Crane talking about that there's going to be apology at spring training. Thanks for projecting and telling us what it's going to be. And what are they going to line up and, and sing an apology together on stage? The whole thing's ridiculous. It almost seems like like where is their PR department? You know, Altuve saying we're the underdogs. Bregman saying is just saying. Nobody else is saying anything. It's just total dysfunction. And obviously Verlander making that stupid crack, uh, you know, Saturday night at the awards dinner. They don't seem to have any kind of unity or traction with this and any direction in which to go. And I'm just tired of looking at their smug faces. We've been talking about them for, what, four months? Uh, yeah, it's it's really, it's it's irritating. It's very irritating. Verlander talked about that. CC was just getting pissed off, uh, wanting nothing to do with it. Um yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if CC, uh, you know, you know, tackled Verlander. I would, I would not be surprised if CC. He probably had to leave the room just so he didn't do that. Uh, he's definitely oh a guy God, who wears his heart on his sleeve. So, yeah. Um, and then Keiko talking about apologizing, but then being like, "Oh, well, I apologize, but we didn't do it every day." Like, it's just you, you get these guys have no remorse for what they did. They don't care. None, they're still none. being they're still being cocky as all hell. So I think next year, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes down. Do you, what do you see happening in between the lines? Because I'm wondering if we're going to see some, uh, you know, some some rogue guys like Ryan Dempster throwing at a Rod when um, when when that whole thing happened. Do you see some of these guys, uh, you know, getting sent messages during the during the season? I do. I absolutely do. But not by the Yankees. I think I'm sure they've already even talked about it. They will talk about it at spring training, whether it comes from Cashman or Boone. I think, you know, our, our management is going to tell these guys don't do it. You know, take it out on the field. We don't want to get into some scrap with them and, and bring more publicity to this. But do I think you know, maybe Blake Snell or Tyler Glass now or somebody like that that was on Twitter chirping a little bit might throw it out to Bregman? Absolutely. I think that those guys are going to catch some heat. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Bauer's not in the not in the league anymore. He's in the National League. I don't know. Right. When, I don't know when the when Cincinnati or if they play uh, Houston. But look, Mike Clevenger is. Mike Clevenger's still over there in Cleveland. I wouldn't. Wouldn't be surprised if uh, if he dug one into their back, but yeah, I, I think there's going to be some messages sent early on. You know, I, I don't know how it's going to be done. Whether it's uh, you know throwing just inside and, and just getting close, I can guarantee you this: if the ball is inside, I feel like because they are so arrogant and they are all about themselves, they will try to make it a big deal before they get hit. And oh, they they're going to think every it. inside. Oh, yeah, they're going to think every pitch that, that's on the inside corner. That, that yeah, tr- going after them. They're going to be ridiculous about it. And this us against the world mentality after getting caught cheating is just the most ridiculous, tired way to go about it. Just own up to it. You're, you're not the underdog. <laughs> you're not the underdog. Not you just the got underdog. Caught. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we're going to get to uh, Ben Badler of Baseball America to talk about all the prospects. But uh, congratulations again. I'm looking forward to, uh, to to hearing you now once a week on Wednesdays with JJ at George's Box. Uh, glad you could come on the show for a few minutes here and uh, and wrap up this week while Andrew is still gone. So, um, yeah, I'll throw it to you. Where can people find you on social media? And, uh, yeah, what else you got to say? 
Yep, uh, I'm on Twitter at nkirby, N-Y-Y, uh, nice and symmetrical there. And yeah, just excited for the season. Going to be a big year for the Yanks and a big year for Bronx Pinstripe. So couldn't be more pumped. All right. Well, without further ado, here's Ben Bather. We talk uh, from Baseball America talking about the top 10 prospects. We get a lot into Jason Dominguez. Uh, and then uh, some of the guys that were even outside the top 10, we talk about some of the the, the risers that he thinks uh, can fly up the system as well. So a lot of really good insight. He's in the in the thick of it with all the prospects. He's down in the Dominican watching these guys. Uh, so it's a really, uh, really good mind to, to get into to talk about these guys. Enjoy the interview. All right, guys, we had him on last year talking about the different Yankee prospects and all of the... The, uh, the top 10 list for Baseball America, Mr. Ben Badler. He covers MLB prospects, scouting, and player development for Baseball America. You could find him on Twitter at Ben Badler. And he posts a lot of videos and awesome content on Instagram as well at Ben.Badler. Ben, thanks for coming on again this year and, and talking about these young kids. Oh, happy to, Scott. Thanks for having me back. You know, I think that some of the, the, the name on the top of the list is, is the guy that we've all... Uh, we don't really know much about. He's, you know, the the Martian as he's named. We we've seen some videos and and things like that from, um, you know, from the Dominican, but we haven't really seen much of him on the field and, and what he's done. I think we're gonna obviously now that he's gonna be in the system, we're gonna see a lot more of Jason Dominguez. Um, but he is the number one prospect on the list. It's exciting. So we'll kind of go through these top ten. You guys just release your top one hundred for baseball. Um, and you know, what we'd like to do here is just discuss the top 10 and how you guys came to that. But Dominguez being the number one, um, guy on the Yankee system and, uh, you had him where 38 for overall, right? So big, big jump for him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, it's, it's definitely an aggressive ranking for a, uh, for an international signing who's 16 years old and, and has never played. Uh, but definitely a lot of a lot of very positive scouting reports on on him from from scouts who have seen him. Uh, I went down to the Dominican Republic and, and got a chance to see him play myself. He had one at bat. The game was pouring rain and he hit it over the like they have a fence. You can probably see probably seen on the video. They have yep. a, the main outfield fence and then they have like a giant chain link fence to cover up the trees. So the balls don't go over that. And then he hit it over both of those fences. <laughs> uh, and then the game got uh, pretty much rained out after that. So he uh, definitely made the most of his uh, opportunity there. His first uh, unofficial home run in, in Dominican instructs. So it's, it's definitely an aggressive ranking for a first year uh, international signing who has yet to play and is, is still 16 years old, but Again, like the, the reports are all very positive on him, and I think the track record of the players who we've ranked as the number one international player in a given signing class going back the the last several years is really, really strong, like surprisingly strong, actually. And I, I think it because we're talking about kids who were signing at 16 years old, but I mean, in the last six years, we've got. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Wander Franco, uh, and Marco Luciano are, are four of those six. So three of those six are, are guys who went on to become top five overall prospects in the game. And two of them, you know, Franco is our number one prospect right now. Vladdy Jr. was our number one prospect a year ago. So two of those six went on to be the number one overall prospects in baseball uh, and then that fourth guy, Marco Luciano, we already have in our 
top 20 and, and he just signed in 2018. So uh, he very well could be in that top five overall group, uh, you know, at this time uh, next year or, or at some point in, in the next couple of years. So, you know, there's two other guys in that group, uh, Adrian Rondon and Kevin Maiton, who, uh, you know, Rondon is, is basically a bust at this point, and, and I think Maiton is uh, certainly heading in, in that direction. So uh, there's there's always going to be a lot of risk when you're talking about these kids who are signing at 16 years old and, and have no professional experience. But I think it just if you look at the uh, the recent history on these players, it's it's a it's a stronger track record than you know as much as I love. Uh, covering these first-year uh, international signings, uh, I'm even surprised at, at how good, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, how, how good of a track record these these number one type guys have. I mean, it seems like Dominguez was one of those guys though that was ranked so highly by every team that there was a you know the the biggest signing. Obviously, the Yankees fans knew about this guy before he even signed. I mean, it's it's at that level when you're a 16 year old kid and everybody already knows who you are. Uh, and, and, you know, hoping that the Yankees were going to to get in there and swoop him and, and sign him. Um, it seems like everybody is pretty much in consensus that this guy is going to be, he's a real deal. And just reading your report, reading, you know, about the uh, the different things that you guys have in the track record and the scouting report, you you compared his, the body type to a, to a young Moncada. Um, but it seems like all the tools are there. And the fact that he's got some discipline, um, you know, on both sides of the plate. Can you talk about the, 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 the big strengths that you've seen for him as a player and what, what you guys are already seeing as far as that freak athleticism? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's elite tools and certainly for, for his age and, and the body type. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to find players who are built like him. I mean, he's not that tall, like he's shorter than, than Monka. He's like, I don't know. He's maybe five ten. He's not a tall guy, right? but he is, he's, He's jacked. <laughs> yeah, he's compact, he's, man. He's very, yeah, very filled I mean, out. If this guy was in, you know, high school, you just he'd be on the football field and you'd be handing him the ball and he'd be just sm- running over guys and, and running by guys. Just a physical, quick twitch, explosive athlete, and and that quick twitch explosion shows up in pretty much everything he does. Uh, it shows up in the. Uh, the bat speed, the the hand speed, and and then the strength and the power too, just because of how much bat speed and how much strength he has, it, it shows up in his in his first step explosion. Uh, you know, ro- either running the bases or, or in the outfield, he's he's a well above average runner. Uh, he's got a strong arm too. It's it's an above it, it, above average to well above average arm. Uh, so it's 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 a lot of tools. But then yeah, you mean I think you mentioned the the plate discipline too. It's this is not just a, a raw tools guy. This is somebody who has instincts for playing the game. And I think when you look at somebody, you know, understandably, when you have somebody who has this much explosiveness and, and this caliber of tools at, at 16 years old, yeah, we're all going to want to talk about how good his tools are. And, and, and I think that's very understandable. But what I think uh, probably should not get lost in this is just how uh, – how much of a baseball rat he is. It's, it's not like he's just a, a total raw crude tools guy who, who doesn't quite know how to apply it into games yet. It's, it, this is somebody who's grown up playing baseball his whole life, uh, playing in games. Um, and, and has a lot, you, you can see when he's on the field has, 
uh, just a, a pretty high baseball IQ as well. I mean, he grew up like much, much younger. He was, you know, he was a catcher. He, he always wanted to be involved on, on that side of the game. Um, I mean, you know, when you have that kind of, he probably could catch, I think, if you wanted to move him back there. But when you have that, uh, you know, the, the level of athleticism and, and speed and, and all the other tools that he has, I don't think, um, you know, you want to you want to slow any of that down. So um, this is a, a guy who who has explosive tools, but is also a, a pretty advanced baseball player for, for a 16 year old kid. It's funny because uh, in your in the report, it says that the Yankees described Dominguez as a player who might be constructed with by taking the best tools from other players throughout their system and molding them into one player. So he's the video game make a player guy. This is what we're talking about here. Like this is the guy that you have a ten for speed, a ten for awareness, a ten for discipline, um, arm strength, speed, range. Like this is what the guy is, and he's just he's so young that I think it's going to be a lot of fun for all of us now to watch, especially with the amount of coverage that's all over the place. Uh, and, and, you know, what we can see now, I think, with uh, with the digital age. But it's going to be fun watching him climb through the, the ranks. Do you see this as, uh, as a guy that could possibly, um, you know, kind of fly through it, no pun intended, but, but go go more quickly? I mean, we, we all saw Gary Sanchez coming in at 16 years old. We heard his name, it seemed like, for 20 years before he came up. Um, but obviously, being a catcher, there's more things that, that I think you have to develop. Uh, and it seems like Dominguez is a little bit more along, more further aligned in the maturation process as far as a, a baseball player and all the tools. And I think he has a, he certainly has a chance to uh, to move relatively quickly. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Gary Sanchez is a a good example of somebody who you know I'm pretty sure he got to the major leagues when he was like 23 or so, right? Like 22, 23. Yeah. Which you know, if you're drafted out of out of college, certainly a normal timetable to to get to the big leagues, or, or even if you're drafted out of high school, it's not you know unusual to get to the major leagues when you're 22, 23 years old. But uh, you know, Gary being you know a three million dollar signing when he was 16 years old, I mean, you, it, I think just some level of like prospect fatigue sets in. Where I think we ranked him on like I think at least like six top 100s. <laughs> And he was a top ten prospect in the Yankee system for us from the time he, I believe, from the time he he signed. So from like, you know, at that point he would have been seventeen. So I think we had him in like six or seven different Yankees top tens over the years. So uh, I think it, even even if he's somebody who it's like he only like you know quote unquote only gets the big leagues <laughs> uh, in, in Dominguez's case when he's twenty three, like that's still a a pretty normal timetable where. Um, you know, it's it's awesome that guys like uh, Juan Soto are getting the big leagues at 19, or we see Vladdy Jr. at 20, or Cunha 21 years old, and these guys are just, uh, or you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. and these guys are just killing it uh, for the most part from the from the time they get there. Um, you know, those guys are more the the exceptions to to the rule, and 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 maybe Dominguez does that. I, I don't know, but uh, you know. I think it's uh, as exciting of a talent as he is. I think there's also you'll probably also see some of that uh, fatigue. So and I imagine, you know, when we're when we're talking in like 2024 and people are like, why isn't this guy up? I've been hearing about him forever. It's like, well, he's, you know, still 20 years old. Right. So um, so I think that's just uh, as talented as he is. I think that's important to, to remember in his case, too. Where do you expect him to start this year? Have they have they talked about where he's uh, once the season starts going on, and and uh, are we going to see him 
Uh, at what rank do you think that he will start at? I think somewhere somewhere in the United States. I don't expect him to to spend any time in the Dominican Summer League. No, you know the Yankees have two Gulf Coast League affiliates. They have a team in the Appy League, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess they do have a team also in the New York Penn League. That would be super aggressive for uh, a kid who's going to be seven, you know seventeen years old in, in his first season. I guess I, I wouldn't totally rule that out, but. Uh, you know, he's going to come over, I'm, I'm sure, for extended spring training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would think the most aggressive they would probably be would, would be the Appy League. I believe they did that with like Everson Pereira uh, his first year out after they uh, after he basically annihilated extended spring training. So um, I don't think it really matters a ton, like whatever he is, wherever he's at this year, I think he's got a chance to be 18 years old and go to. Uh, go to the South Atlantic League that uh, that season, wherever he is. But uh, definitely expect him to to jump straight to the states with the exact teams still uh, still to be determined after after extended spring. Awesome. So there's a few guys that when I saw these, I was I was surprised. Actually, the next uh, the next one, I was definitely surprised. Um, and, and let me just list these off so everybody hears. And if you haven't checked it out, go to uh, Baseball America and check out the top ten. Uh, rankings that they have for all the teams and for the Yankees. So I'm just going to list them quickly is uh, Dominguez. Then we got Clark Schmidt, which was a surprise to me. Debbie Garcia as three, Luis Gill, um, Oswald Peraza, who's a shortstop, number five, Anthony Volpe, who is the sh- uh, shortstop that was drafted last year out of uh, Del Barton, uh, Luis Mendina, who's right-handed pitcher, Contreras is a right-handed pitcher, Alexander Vizcaino, right-handed pitcher, and then Albert Abreu, right-handed pitcher. He came over in the uh, McCann deal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so a lot of lot of lot of right-handed pitching coming up. That's that's strong. That's that's a good thing. Um, but can you talk to me about Clark Schmidt and Davey Garcia, and why, you know why Clark Schmidt jumped up to that number two spot? I was surprised. I was expecting to see Garcia there. Yeah. So for for me personally, I, I actually prefer Garcia to Schmidt, but. I think the you know when we came together and uh, and, and finalized the list, I, I think uh, just the, the reports on Schmidt were, were were pretty strong from pro scouts with uh, other organizations. I mean, this was a guy who you know basically or barely had, had pitched in in pro ball uh, coming into the year uh, at Tommy John surgery, um, so he. Didn't pitch in in 2017, barely pitched in in 2018. But um, you know, this was a guy who was pretty highly regarded uh, coming out of the draft, and he came back, and and the stuff is there. I mean, the other reports we have on on his stuff. I mean, fastball up to 97 with with a lot of life, uh, good action on on his changeup, the the breaking ball. Uh, anywhere from from 50 to, to 60 grades on on that pitch, and, and a pretty solid strike thrower who had uh, a lot of success in in the Florida State League, and, and started to uh, you know to keep that going in the brief time at least that he he got to Double A. So um, a lot of a lot of promising reports on him. His his stock uh, certainly I think shot up quite a bit uh, quite a bit this year. Yeah, or this it, last year it, I should say. <laughs> it's almost like everybody had to see what he was gonna, what the physical, you know, how, how much he could throw, like what he looked like after that that surgery, because you know the Yankees drafted him. 
uh, out of South Carolina, knowing that Tommy John surgery was coming up. So I guess uh, all you guys that are, that are ranking and scouts wanted to just see what that looked like after Tommy John and to see if, you know, the strength was still there, obviously. And um, the, the, yeah, the, I think the strike throwing is, is to me, one of the more exciting. I, you see so many of these guys that have all the tools, but have, struggle the ball, throw the ball over the plate consistently. I think that's one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest reasons why these guys struggle or never make it to the bigs. Uh, but he's able to uh, show that now. It's, that's encouraging. He's definitely got the arm, arm strength there. Yeah, it's, you know, when these guys come back from Tommy John, I think, and sometimes we think of it, oh, like Tommy John, it's, you know, like, you know, twisting an ankle or something, you'll be fine. Like, right. But it's, you know, it's a pretty major operation, and we've seen guys come back and, and their stuff uh, just just isn't there. I mean, it, sometimes I think we we take it for granted, and, and the success rate of it is, is still pretty high, but it's it's definitely not a guarantee. So uh, to actually see him come back and, and the stuff being – where it's at right now i mean you know there's there's still some uh you know long-term durability risk want to see him throw more than 100 innings in a season but um you know what he did in in 2019 i don't think you could ask for for too much more and then the third guy the davy garcia who i already kind of mentioned um he's the third yankees prospect that you guys have on your top 10 dominguez coming in at 30 i'm, I'm sorry your top 100 dominguez coming in at 38 schmidt at 62 and then garcia at 65 obviously you guys were, were all pretty close with uh, garcia and schmidt as two and three being that there are 62 and 65 on your top 100 as well but davy garcia is obviously a guy that we've all heard about um we, we were i was expecting him to actually to make a, a late season bullpen uh, appearance at some point it never happened he was in scranton but the kid really did seem like he showed good progress as he kept going up. And I know he had some rocky starts in uh, Scranton, but, had, but it seemed like he came back from those and, and pitched really well. Um, and then they put him in the bullpen, I guess, to manage those innings at the end. But what are your thoughts on Garcia? And do you expect him to be coming up with the Yankees at some point as a starting pitcher, or do you see him more long-term in the bullpen? Yeah, I love I love Davey Garcia. He's uh, he's one of my favorite pitching prospects in, in the minor leagues. I see a guy who's got uh, – uh, a fastball that uh, that misses bats. It's it's got you know plus velocity. You've seen up to ninety six, even ninety seven. Uh, good life on it. Uh, gets swing and miss when he pitches up in the zone, and and then that uh, that breaking ball is such a weapon uh, for him. It's just such tight spin rotation on it. Uh, just dives underneath the uh, the bats of of hitters. He's you know curveball. Uh, he's got a slider too. It's uh, it's you know just just that innate feel for spinning the baseball. That's uh, I, I I personally think is something you can't you can't really teach uh, for the most part. And and he has it, and that's why you see so many strikeouts from him. I, I think that there's some concern among some scouts just about his size, but I just you know it's not something I really share for you know for a pitcher who's in uh, you know, triple a who's, uh, you know, I, I think like what, 20, 21 years old now. Um, you know, if, if we're talking about, a you know, a 16 year old kid who's, you know, smaller, like all else being equal. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably rather have the, uh, you know, the bigger guy who maybe has more physical projection left, but there's not really anything you have to project here on, on his stuff. Uh, he's, you know, this is a guy who's got uh, really good, uh, you know, fastball, really good breaking stuff, uh, misses a ton of bats. I, I don't see his size as a, 
uh, as any kind of a significant concern for me. So uh, I see a guy who who should be uh, a starter for them that, uh, you know, I think it should be probably at some point in the first half of the season. I think he'll uh, be up. I, I'd probably be guessing as to when exactly that would be. But I think this is a guy who's just on the cusp of, of being big league ready and has a chance to be uh, a mid-rotation starter uh, with uh, with a chance for even more. Yeah, no, that's exciting. And I, I think it was the Futures game, right, that he started uh, that we saw last year. Um, and he was – you could just look at the makeup of him and it just seemed like he was a gamer uh, just just from – just visibly watching it, just looking at the uh, you know the body language, it seems like there wasn't a stage that's really too big for him. Just some of the things I, I listened to the interview that you had on the back end too. It just seems like a very mature kid who is ready for the you know the big lights, and and it doesn't really phase him. That's that's kind of the the vibe I got from just hearing him talk and watching him pitch. But um, yeah, the size apparently the size is a lot of people knock that for endurance re- or you know for for wear reasons over the years and and that's why that maybe the innings aren't going to be there but in today's age like nobody throws 200 innings anyway so it's, you know are, are we uh are we looking at him uh breaking down for for what reason just because he's a smaller guy I, I don't really believe in that either yeah i'm 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 with you on that i, I think that uh, uh it's, it's more about the you know your strength level and your um your your delivery and and just whatever is internally in inside of your body things that we can't really see anyway um and and this guy for the most part uh throughout his career is at a a pretty clean bill of health too um so i i to me all the all the components are there uh from from what i can see for him to to be a starting pitcher do you think that because the yankees have an interesting situation with their pitching staff obviously not not projecting injuries because you can't do that but they always happen um, that being said, number five starter Cashman was recently talking about Jay Happ. You know that's kind of the projected guy. But Jordan Montgomery is also coming back. Uh, came back at the end of last year and, and will be uh, most likely starting. I, I would think in in uh, Scranton with Davey uh, Garcia. So that you know there could be kind of a logjam there with pitching unless there are injuries, of course. Um, but do you think the Yankees could see him as a as a very active participant and a guy that could impact the team and immediately and then and then try to you know bring him into the bullpen at some point and then turn it back again. And, uh, you know, uh, we've seen this with Java Chamberlain. <laughs> That's why I get a little nervous about it and what the Yankees right. have done by going back and forth and back and forth. Uh, but it seems like the way that the the roster is, you know, checking out all things considered that there could be that opportunity for David Garcia to kind of float back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. I'd, I'd probably be more guessing as to, you know, how they, you know, whether they would plan to, to use him that way. I mean, I guess the more optimistic, <laughs> the, Example of that more than uh, Java Chamberlain would be like a Chris Sale, who, who obviously was a reliever right. early on in his career and, and transitioned to be a, a successful starter. Not saying Davy Garcia is going to be Chris Sale, um, so you know I think he has, uh, you know they they have the option of of doing that. For, for me, I, I would like to just see him just be a pure starter. I think he has more value that way, and and you know. By by the end of the season, there's there's nobody that's only using five starting pitchers right. during the regular season. Somebody's gonna get hurt, go on the disabled list, or just pitch like crap. It's it's just gonna be the way it uh, it works out. So I think at some point, uh, again, I don't I don't know exactly when, but I think at some point during the first half of the season, uh, you're gonna see him uh, coming up and pitching innings in the in the rotation for for the Yankees. 
So a few more of these guys. The rest of the list is is essentially right-handed pitching and two shortstops. Um, the can you talk to about the two shortstop? Obviously, uh, Peraza Oswald Oswald Peraza. If I'm saying that correctly, is the number five, and then you got Anthony Volpe, who is the uh, who was the draft pick last year from Del Barton High out of high school and started with Pulaski. Um, what are you seeing with those two guys? Obviously, uh, you know the one guy, the one kid, uh, Volpe, being the number the Yankees' number one draft pick. You know they they obviously have a very uh, a lot of uh, potential there, and they I'm sure they have high hopes for him. But what are you seeing from those two guys? Yeah, I think uh, Peraza. It's it's definitely an aggressive ranking with him. Um, you know I, I think, but you, you just talk to scouts from other organizations it's it's pretty clear this guy has a you know i i don't know whether he stays in the long organization long term or, or if he gets traded but it's it's pretty clear just talking to other clubs this guy would have a pretty pretty good amount of trade value because scouts from other clubs seem to be uh uh pretty interested in uh uh in him he's a, a pretty good athlete a pretty polished uh player you know it doesn't kind of jump out at you maybe uh in the in the numbers it's not like he's he, he doesn't have much power he's, he's not gonna um you know be somebody who goes up there and and impacts the ball for uh for much extra base juice but um you know it's a it's a pretty simple swing he, he doesn't strike out much um it's uh and and then defensively um really good uh really good reviews on him uh uh, as as a as a defender as an athlete uh, as a runner too so um somebody who i you know I, I think over over the next few years i think just getting stronger is is going to be important for him and i think that will probably uh uh dictate a good amount of uh his future if he does and, and he's able to uh drive the ball with uh with more damage i think that helps him um uh, you know, develop into into a guy who has a chance to be uh, an everyday guy. Uh, if not, um, you know, I, I think that certainly puts a, puts more of a dent into uh, into his profile. Um, and then and then Volpe, um, you know, kind of uh, not like a not a great debut. Um, and I, I think there's some. Some risk there with with him, uh, given kind of the, some of the swing and miss tendencies. But uh, you know, if, if you like him, he's somebody where it's uh, uh, you know an, an instinctive player who, who stands out more for kind of the, the the baseball IQ and and instincts more so than the uh, the the raw tools. But um, somebody who has a, a, a chance to uh, chance to stay at shortstop and. Uh, be a you know a, a solid player, but um, somebody where I, I think that jump to uh, to low A this year is is going to be a big one for for him. The rest of the guys with uh, being right-handed pitching is something that the Yankees have definitely done well is is develop uh, velocity. It seems like they've they've done well in a lot of the international signings and then bringing guys up to develop that velocity. So talking about these right-handed guys, it seems like a lot of them are, are touching high nineties. Um, which one or, or two of these guys do you stand out to you? You know, do you see having a, a quicker impact and uh, kind of B to that question is. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. The, the Yankees have this like factory of uh, <laughs> arms, especially, you know, and all these guys are uh, pretty much out of uh, Dominican Republic and yeah. in, uh, in Venezuela. I mean, they, they do a really good job of just 
finding these guys for not necessarily big signing bonuses, but who have attributes that you can project on. And, and then they actually uh, go and, and develop these guys. And, I, you know, I think them and, and the Astros have, have done a good job, too, of just finding these guys where we're like, who, wait, who is this guy? Oh, he suddenly is throwing, you know, 98, 99 or uh triple digits in in some cases and yeah i mean like Luis gill is, is an example of of that they signed him out of the you know dominican republic uh uh man it seems like a while ago now yeah uh, he's been coming he, up a lot yeah so he uh, or he's, i mean it, you know he, he obviously you know he was a uh, originally uh, a twin sign so they mm-hmm. they traded for him but um you know just just an you know a guy who's uh you know popped uh you know triple digits fastball at uh, at his best, uh, guy who misses a lot of bats. Um, you know that that Charleston team this year had a whole slew of guys where it's like he, he talked to different scouts about you know whether it was him or, or Luis Medina or Rolante Contreras or Alexander Vizcaino. Uh, you know, and, and you could have scouts who line them up in in all different kind of orders. So it's kind of like pick your flavor. I mean, I think the mo- the most interesting guy to me is. Uh, Luis Medina. I don't necessarily like him the most, but he's he's the most fascinating guy to me because just on on raw stuff, it's I mean again, it's a guy who's throwing triple digits. We've we've had him up to 101. He's he's basically sitting in in the upper 90s as a starter. Um, and you know you just you to look at the the raw pitch quality, not just the fastball, but uh, it's a you know power curveball too. The the changeup is good, uh, and then you know if you saw him like 2018, he's also walking more than a batter per inning. So like he's he's just all over the place. And then this year, or I should say in 2019, in the second half, or, or at least like the last um, you, know, tour, you know tour the last month or so of the season. It seems like he started throwing more strikes, and you want to hope that that's like a sign of real progress, and not just uh, statistical noise. And it's just gonna, uh, you know, revert to his his wild tendencies that he's shown, like you know, really throughout the rest of his career. So I, I'm I'm optimistic that that change is is real, but at the same time, still skeptical that it is just given his entire history uh leading up to this point it's it's still pretty scary uh but this guy i mean just just on pure stuff has i mean you know you i'd put him above even you know davy garcia clark schmidt I'd, I'd put him over anybody in the system just on on raw stuff but the you know the pitchability uh, the the feel for for throwing strikes really until that very very end of the season uh, just has not been there which is why he's uh, number seven on this list as opposed to above uh, some of those those other guys but uh, the the upside there is is really exciting it's just a question of whether uh, he's he's ever going to be able to to corral it all yeah the consistency strike throwing again like that's you see that stuff, and I think it's probably uh, you know even seeing it with some of the guys that have come up. Um, uh, Chance Adams was you know a guy that rose through the ranks pretty quick, but just couldn't control the zone well enough. I think that was to his uh, his detriment being on the on the team. Um, but saw some action, and, and you just seen some of these guys fall off because of that. So uh, I saw that he he improved towards the end of the year. So I'm, I'm really. 
definitely hoping that that wasn't just a a fluky thing and and that, like you said it'll kind of fall back into the the averages of of all the the metrics and such but um that it was a a, a jump off point for him so um couple more guys that that didn't actually make your list uh, which again surprise surprised me not seeing them and you know you're looking at the different people talking about Floreal is one of them I think he was your number one last year if I remember uh, if I'm correct on that uh, and then Anthony Siegler who was a 2018 draft pick um, catcher coming up but talk about those two guys and, and why you didn't see them cracking the top 10 yeah Floreal I mean it's you know I, I don't think there's any question about his uh, his raw tools uh, it's just he he's got to he's got to start to translate it more into the game um you know it's it's he he just he struggled this uh this this last year and in tampa i think there's uh you know some some lengths of the swing and i think there's just a lot of pitch recognition issues too uh so you see a, a really high strikeout rate that gets into uh, red flag territory. I mean, he he still has plenty of power, probably more power, more raw power than than what shows up in the game. Because again, is it's you know just issues with the uh, pitch recognition and then plate discipline and uh, swing decisions, swinging at pitches that he can do do damage with. Um, you know, I, I think some of the the injuries he's had have, have slowed him down, but. I think that the the issues that he's had with recognizing breaking balls and controlling the strike zone are are, are bigger issues that are, are just only going to uh, I think get magnified as he uh, as he moves up higher in, in the organization and, and kind of have already uh, given him pretty pretty significant uh, problems uh, even even to this point. Um, and yeah, Siegler, another guy where, um, you know, coming into the draft was a pretty interesting guy, uh, in, in 2018, um, kind of a tough year for him to just being, being so limited with, uh, I think it was hamstring injuries and, and, a, and a concussion too. Um, so we ha- haven't had a ton of time just to actually see him, uh on the field uh the the reports that we've had on him have been just okay but um kind of want to don't want to judge him too harshly just based on the fact that he he really hasn't played too much since then but um not a guy who at, at this point would fit into the the Yankees top 10 right now yeah it seems like there's some there's still some good talent outside the top ten that just kind of needs to show itself a little bit more. I mean, even with Florial with those injuries, uh, you're talking about Siegler with some of those injuries, if they can rebound from that and, and show it. And I remember you talking last year about Florio about that long swing and and some of that plate discipline. So um you know it, it's been I think it's unfortunate with the injuries that he's had too. He got hit by a ball, I think, right? and then and then um he I was actually there at the game when he injured his wrist against the wall uh, in spring training. It's just unfortunate how you know his progression has also been stunted by unfortunate fluky injuries too, um, but I guess that wears on you. you. You have to be on the field to be to be able to improve, and, and unfortunately, he's just not able to stay on the field either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it uh, you know that's that just makes it tough to to evaluate a guy when they're yeah. not on the field or when they do come back. You're like, well, is it 
is an injury still bother him? You know, especially if we're talking about, you know, a concussion, something like that. It's, you know, I think we've learned a lot more about how serious those, uh, that can be and, and, and the lingering effects. So, um, it's, you know, again, the, the reports were just okay on him in, in 2019, but kind of want to, you know, he, we still have him in the, the Yankees top 30 prospects, but, uh, I think there's some other guys who kind of, uh, jumped ahead of him right now. So, uh, you're talking about the top 30, obviously you guys released the top 100 in baseball, the top 10 for each team's. Who's a guy that's, you know, maybe outside the top 10 that we haven't spoken about that, that, you know, catches your eye, a guy or two, um, that, that catch your eye, that, that could be some, you know, pot, possibly next year in the rankings in the top 10 or, or guys that are just going to, you know, maybe rise a little bit faster than others. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty intrigued by some of the lower level guys the the Yankees had at the, the rookie level this year. Um, you know, they had a few guys in the Gulf Coast League and, uh, Antonio Gomez and uh, shortstop Alexander Vargas uh, was a, a really good defensive shortstop and Kevin Alcantara, a, a center fielder who uh, played the year. He, like, he only turned 17 during the season and he's like six foot six and just glides around the outfield. He's just a really just physically unusual player, like a Dexter Fowler size yeah. guy out in center field, but still really raw. But again, like he just turned, like he'd be a high school junior, I think this year, maybe if he was in the States or maybe a, like a young senior, like he's just really young, but really high physical upside. But I, I think Antonio Gomez might be the most interesting guy to me. Uh, a catcher who, I, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think people sometimes are like prone to hyperbole and, and exaggeration <laughs> talking about uh, prospects sometimes. And like, you know, you look at these like lists of, uh, you know, showcases in the States and like somehow everybody throws these like one eight pop times and it's like, come on, like that's not, <laughs> not real, but like, Gomez legitimately has, you know, thrown in-game pop times into, like, the low 1.8s. Not saying he's there every time, but, like, the just on raw arm strength, I would conservatively go with a, a 70 arm on him on, on the 2080 scale. And maybe that's just because I'm too much of a chicken to put an 80 arm on a <laughs> guy who's, like, 17 years old because yeah. it just sounds like almost too good to be true but um this guy has just an absolute cannon arm but then you combine it with a really quick exchange um quick quick footwork um it, it's all, all the i mean just on on pure throwing ability it's it's just phenomenal to watch he didn't get to play a ton uh, this year, uh, just, just for health issues that he had, but, um, it's, it's unfortunate. I think if he had played more, um, I think a lot more people would be, um, talking about, uh, about this guy, just a, a really exciting defensive catcher where, where the bat keeps improving too. I mean, I, you know, I haven't even talked about his, his baggage because his arm is that, <laughs> is, is that special. I mean, it's, it's, it's up there with, with Gary Sanchez's arm. It's, uh, 
it's pretty remarkable. But as as a hitter too, I mean, he's he stays through the middle of the field. He's he's got some physicality to him. I, I don't think he's going to be like a you know a middle of the order masher, but I, I think he's going to hit enough to be or has a chance to hit enough to be uh, an everyday guy to go with a uh, a pretty special arm and, uh, and and just a really smart uh player too bilingual speaker which is is huge for uh you know a young venezuelan catcher who's going to be working with uh uh you know both spanish and, and english speaking pitchers right away so I, I think that um you know just just helps just just gives him another uh thing to to help him on on the defensive side too so um, he's he's somebody who I'm I'm pretty excited to see hopefully a full uh, uh, or hopefully a healthy season from him uh, this year because I think he's got a chance to uh, really catch some some more attention uh, in 2020. And then last thing I'm looking through some of the uh, the midseason stuff from last year as well, and I remember um, preseason even I think these guys were on there. Maybe they were just guys of note that you had mentioned, but um, outfielders uh, Pereira and uh, Cabello or Cabello. Uh, mm-hmm. Two guys that were in your top ten in uh, midseason, but not this year. So, are you seeing the? I'm interested to, to know like how the outfielders are, are projecting besides Dominguez, obviously, because we don't really know much about him in games yet. It's all it's all theoretical at this point. I think you know just by looking at him. But some of these guys that have played, are you seeing, you know, some regression from where they were as prospects, or, or are they just uh, being bumped out from other guys who have you know maybe higher ceilings? Yeah, I think uh, I think in you know in, in Pereira's case, he you know he, he struggled uh, this year, but also like he didn't play a ton. Yeah, he, uh, he got like like sprained an ankle. Um, right? I think he ran into a wall or was trying to make a catch and, and got injured. Didn't uh, didn't play a ton, and and when he did, uh, I think kind of the the plate discipline got him in trouble. But again, he was like an 18 year old playing in basically a college league in, in the New York Penn League up in Staten Island. So uh, tough to judge. I mean, I, I really liked him a lot when he signed, um, but just going to have to wait for him to, to be healthy and kind of wait and see on him. Uh, Antonio Cabello is a guy who's uh, – he's, he's always had like pretty strong tools and like a really unusual package. I mean, he's – maybe like 5'10-ish, 5'11", but like he's just built like, I don't, I don't know what he's, he's, he's built like a catcher. He's like 2'10", 2'15", okay. but like, you know, at least as an, as an amateur, he was also a, a plus runner, but he was also catching as an amateur. So um, just, just a really unusual profile. Um, hit really well in, in 2018 is his first year in the Gulf Coast League. Like like really really well, but then this year uh, jumped him up to Pulaski, and uh, I think the the plate discipline got him in trouble. He, he looks like he was a little bit heavier and then a little bit more sluggish. I, I don't know how much of that is, uh, you know, it, you know, a guy who looks like that. I, I think if he's, uh, you know, if he's hitting well, he, he looks, you know. You just say he's uh, he looks strong and compact, <laughs> right. and if and if he's struggling, oh, he's you know he's maybe out of shape. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. but like, uh, <laughs> so I don't know how much that plays into it, but um, you know, there, there's definitely still um, some pretty interesting tools there. But 
um, there's always been some some stiffness to his game too, and um, he, he's always just been a even going back to like when he was an amateur player in Venezuela, he's just a, a divisive split camp kind of guy, and I, I think this past season where he struggled didn't uh, didn't help him there. So you know, look, all these guys we talked about, you know, Cabello, Pereira, uh, all the other guys, Siegler, and uh, then these guys are all still in the Yankees top 30. They're like interesting guys. And, and I think, you know, of you know, if we take like six or seven of them, by the time they get to, um, you know, to low A or maybe even high A, a lot of them are, are just going to kind of hit a wall by that point. But I think a couple of them will probably uh, break through because there's there's a lot of raw talent there, but there's just a lot of uh, red flags to to uh you know for, for 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 these guys in terms of the the risk factors so um they i mean that and i think that just is is what the yankees do pretty much every year i mean they bring in a lot of really interesting uh uh players especially out of you know a lot of these guys we're talking about are, are signed out of Latin America, um, and then a lot of the times, you know, just not specific to the Yankees, but just with every organization, you get to low A, and um, you know that's you know some guys can kind of hit a wall there, and, and other guys, you know, especially like they've shown on the pitching side, <laughs> can uh, can really really take off from there. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. I know that there's a lot of raw talent, and and uh, I think a lot of these international signings that the the you know fans don't really know too much about are, are going to be guys that. Uh, that will uh, that will surprise some people, and we'll we'll start to get in some of these names. So, Ben, I appreciate your insight as always. It's uh, it's always good to get uh, you know hear it from uh, from a guy who's able to see these guys live and in person as well. So, uh, appreciate all the insight. And again, if you could tell everybody you know where they could find you one one more time and uh, anything uh, that you guys have coming up at Baseball America. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, just punching my name. I'm pretty sure I'm the only uh, Ben Badler out there, so uh, it should be pretty easy to find or. Uh, baseballamerica.com uh, is where all the uh, all the work that uh, we do for 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 the draft, for international signings, for minor league prospects, uh, all our prospect rankings, all our all our scouting reports at baseballamerica.com for 6.25 a month. Um, get access to all our coverage year round, and our our prospect handbook should be uh, hopefully uh, coming out. I, I know a lot of people have. Uh, already ordered that so hopefully that should be uh delivered uh, i hope within the next uh, few weeks or so uh but uh yeah the baseball america prospect handbook is the uh 900 scouting reports top 30 uh players for each organization and a whole bunch of other information even just beyond the uh the top 30 guys for uh for each club as well Awesome. Well, I will definitely nerd out on that thing because I love uh, reading about these uh, these young guys and all the uh, all the upside for them. It makes me uh, makes me happy and, and look forward to the future. So Ben, thanks again, man, for coming on, and uh, we'll definitely get you back on the show and, and talk about these kids uh, a little bit more down the road. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. 
We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.